Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paragons of Earth, the exciting new superhero comic I'm working on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. For this comic, we've unearthed a number of obscure and forgotten Golden Age superheroes plucked them from the depths of the public domain, and completely redesigned and reinvented them for the modern day. It's an exciting cast of characters, and we're throwing them up against the threat of a Lovecraftian apocalypse. It's got action, it's got drama, it's got alternate dimensions and alien worlds, and it's even got a giant shark in a Hawaiian shirt. What else could you want? But in order to make this comic a reality, we need your help. The comic is crowdfunding now, and you can help support it by going to crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder, without the E, dot com, slash Paragon's Comic. You'll be able to find that link in the show notes, so please double check if you didn't quite get it. Please help make this comic a reality. We are counting on your support. And now, on with the show. How certain are you that you've never taken ill? 75%. Well, that's not certain at all, is it? That's hole number one. I'm going to be extremely skeptical about all this. About all what? I'm assuming you've never been injured. Would I be wrong in that assumption? Dad's been injured. Is the child correct? Yes, sir. In college, I was in a car accident. Was it serious? He couldn't play football anymore. That's hole number two. That's a big one. Mr. Price, can we talk about the note that you left on my car? I've studied the form of comics intimately. I spent a third of my life in a hospital bed with nothing else to do but read. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. The Egyptians drew on walls. Countries all over the world still pass on knowledge through pictorial forms. I believe comics are a form of history that someone somewhere felt or experienced. Then, of course, those experiences and that history got chewed up in the commercial machine, got jazzed up, made titillating cartoon for the sale rack. This city has seen its share of disasters. I watched the aftermath of that plane crash. I watched the carnage of the hotel fire. I watched the news waiting to hear a very specific combination of words, but they never came. 
Then one day I saw a news story about a train accident and I heard them. There is a sole survivor and he is miraculously unharmed. I have something called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's a genetic disorder. I don't make a particular protein very well and it makes my bones very low in density, very easy to break. I've had 54 breaks in my life and I have the tamest version of this disorder, type one. There are type two, type three, type four. Type fours don't last very long. So that's how it popped into my head. If there is someone like me in the world and I'm at one end of the spectrum, couldn't there be someone else, the opposite of me at the other end? Someone who doesn't get sick, who doesn't get hurt like the rest of us. And he probably doesn't even know it. The kind of person these stories are about. A person put here to protect the rest of us. To guard us. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcome to a new guest today, and that is uh, Bruce Alexander. Bruce, how you doing today? I'm doing so well, Perry. Sorry, my camera just decided to fall down, so <laughs> I'm doing very well besides that. <laughs> yeah, well, Total luckily it's, it's audio only, so only I can see it, oh, so, okay. so we don't have to worry about uh, anyone else. Um, but anyway, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure. Let me, um, so, um, I go by coach Bruce. Um, I am a life coach who specializes specifically in helping ADHD men who have trouble, who struggle to show up as themselves in this life. Um, Mm -hmm. the reason why I focus on that so specifically is because I am an ADHD man who struggled really, really hard with showing up as myself in the life that I was living. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was a firefighter for almost 10 years, uh, like career firefighter. It's a very serious job. It's one that um, people generally take very seriously. And I did as well. I love the job. I love helping people. But the the culture is a very masculine, toxic culture mm-hmm. that I was uh, I did not fit very well in. And unfortunately, due to that, I kept trying to modify who I was, who I was showing up as every day to try to make myself somebody that these people would like. Right. Um, I, I don't know if this will surprise you. It did me. It did not work. Um, I was, I was, you know, confounded by the fact that I was trying so hard to make these guys like me and it was not working. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the, the reason is, is that when you were create, you create this avatar of yourself based off of assumptions. Um, I was assuming all these things that these people were thinking about me and every assumption that I made created a, a modification of me as a, as a person that became harder and harder to keep up with. Mm-hmm. It became harder and harder to like actually know what this version of myself would do as opposed to this other version of myself, as opposed to this other version of myself. And whenever you're creating several different versions of yourself, you know, to show up in any different, any given situation or talk to any different person, um, it's like, you know, trying to keep up with the web of lies. Eventually right. you're going to get caught in it. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's what happened to me is I, you know, I came to a head where I was, I'm not saying that this is completely my fault. 
the, the culture was toxic. It was a place mm-hmm. that was very difficult to work for. And if you have any sort of different thinking process in this, in this field, it's going to be a struggle for you. Yeah. Um, but had I known what I know now, I would have known that there are ways to, um, to try to mitigate that some by learning how to, for one, define your core values and beliefs mm-hmm. and live in a way that honors them at all times. Um, I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any kind of playbook. I didn't have any kind of blueprint. I didn't have anything to fall back on whenever I started to get stressed mm-hmm. or whenever I was tried or whenever I felt scared or whenever I was anxious. I had nothing. And what happened was I just I just started throwing Hail Marys and guessing. And, you know, it's like, if I do this, maybe that'll work. And, right. you know, more often than not, it didn't. And it actually just compounded the problem to where it was this, this self-feeding cycle of, if I make this adjustment, they'll, it'll help. But it actually, and you know, in reality, it didn't help. It hurt. And it forced me to make another decision like that down the road and mm. keep building up and building up until it was at a point where I no longer recognized the person who was walking out in the world who claimed to be me. Right. Um, that wasn't, that wasn't Bruce anymore. That was this made up character who had no foundation, who had no uh, no guiding light, who had no rule book. And whenever I started to do things that didn't actually align with my values at all, like not even close, I started to, you know, um, I, I was unfaithful to my wife at one point. Mm-hmm. I started to like, you know, be a, a flirty person and not a good father and lots of good, like lots of these different things because I didn't have any foundation. Right. And my wife noticed once again, not surprisingly, she's not a dumb woman. She'd noticed before, but like this time it became to a point where I was behaving so differently than who I'd claimed to be that she said, you need to figure it out. Are you going to be figuring it out by yourself mm-hmm. and her laying it out in that way? So, you know, we've had, we had lots of fights in the past and, you know, it was like, I, we should just get divorced. You know, that stuff gets thrown around. This was serious. She was mm-hmm. stone cold calm. She was worried about me. She said, you need to figure this out or you're going to be by yourself. Everything that I knew and loved was my family, my kids, my wife. It was going to be all gone. And so I started, I did the work like that. This time it was like, it was enough. It was rock bottom. I was terrified. Uh I was going to lose everything. And I, and I was positive of it. If I didn't change, I was positive. If I'm not even change, if I didn't, not if I didn't change, if I didn't get back to who I actually was, right. I was going to lose everything. And um, so I did the work. I started to, you know, really do deep self work and dig into my my history and my trauma and figure out what was going on with me, to where I was acting so so mismatched with what I actually mm. believed in. And in that work, I found purpose. I found that there is there is something inside of me that went through all of this stuff. So I could be called to help people who are going through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't go through all this for no reason. I mean, it, it made me a stronger man, a better person, but there's more than that. There are people who are struggling with exactly what I'm struggling with right now for the exact same reasons. And I can tell them exactly how to get like step-by-step step how to get there. And I can be there to support them and help them through that. If they, if I can just find them and they'll let me like, that's, you know, that's the whole thing is you have to find the people who need your help and they have to also accept you to help them. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm being called to do right now. So 
right now I'm uh I'm on a push. Um, my wife and I had a conversation yesterday morning, so you caught me at a, a an exciting time, you can call it, because uh, an obstacle is nothing but an opportunity. Um, my wife told me that we have like I've been uh, like away from the fire department for over a year now, and I've been working on building my own business. We are at a point to where the savings are dried up. I've got 30 days to make this business sustainable, or I've got to go find a job. Like mm. That's, you know, 30 days, period. That's it. Um, so I am currently journaling these 30 days, like on, like I'm doing lives every night, going live at, uh, <clears throat> sorry, at 6 p.m. Central, every, Central Time, America, mm. every night to chronicle this experience of boom or bust. Like, if nothing else, I'm going to pour as much value into the community that I can find and give them everything that I've learned so far free of charge because I like I know that I was built to share these things with my people and help them get out of the situations that they're in and to you know to engage in life more fully and to find radical self-acceptance and to live the life that they were meant to lead and find purpose and all the things I've found. Like I like I am positive that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I just hope that it's not only for 29 more days. Like I, I hope it's for the rest of my life. I hope that I can make it sustainable so I can do it forever. But it might just be I was meant to do it for a season and then it's time to go back to work. But I'm going to pour everything I've got into it for the next 29 days. Anyways, um, so you can follow along that journey. You can uh, you can go to uh, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Or not Sorry, Facebook, Instagram or Twitch and YouTube. I'm going to be streaming live on all those every night at 6 p.m. Central. And you can um, at Authentic Bruce is my Twitch, my I'm sorry, my Twitch, my YouTube, and um, I'm sorry, and then my Ad Authentic Identity Management is my Facebook, and I'm also doing it on Instagram at Authentic, Authentic Identity Management, but that's like, I can't actually stream like this to mm. the, uh, the Instagram platform because it doesn't work that way, so it's like a, it's like a side stream that I'm still doing, and um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get out there everywhere, so mm. if you... Or if you are an ADHD man or you know an ADHD man, tell them that Coach Bruce is looking for them and I want to help you for free. Like I am going to give you as much value as I can in these next 29 days and you don't have to buy a single thing from me. Uh-huh. I, just, I want to help. I want to help people. I want to get out there as somebody who has got the information to get you from point A to point B without having to swim through the sea of despair I did. Like I want to build a bridge for those people so they can just walk over and do it much faster without near as much pain because I already, I already did it for them. So that's, that's is that you can do that. You can also check out my website, www.authenticidentitymanagement.com, where um, you can learn more about me, um, Coach Bruce. You can also get um, my three free resources there, which is a five-step blueprint for ADHD unmasking, a... Uh, <clears throat> a seven-step ebook about how you are ruining your life by pretending. Um, and then I've also got a authentic assessment that will let you know what our compatibility is to work together as coach and coachee. So those are all available on my website. And I would love for people to go in there and check those free resources out because I honestly feel like they are valuable. They are helpful. If you take the information and you if you implement it, like it's not, it's not a magic pill. You're not just going to swallow it and things are going to get better. You have to do the work. But if you actually take those steps that I'm giving you and you do the work, you're going to see an immediate difference, an immediate difference in the way that you interact with your life. 
Um, on my live stream tonight, my client called in. His name's Drew. He's also one of my best friends. And we've been doing, uh, we're going into our fourth week of coaching this week. And he said that he is already seeing the transformation in the way that his mind works from working with me. And that, that was the best thing I could possibly hear. I don't like, I did, if you had said like, I'm fixed already, then I would have said, oh, we have a lot more work to do because we're, we're not here to fix anybody. Like we are looking for self-acceptance, embracing ourselves where we are, like saying like, I'm this, this, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I drink too much. I'm mean to my kids, I, whatever, whatever all the things that you're doing are, we're about saying that's where you're at right now. And that's okay. Let's work together together to grow and get better. Let's you deserve a better future than to continue in those same patterns. Nobody deserves to hate themselves every morning when they wake up. So I want to help people fight fight through that and find radical self-acceptance. And um so those free resources on the website. Also, I have a podcast as well. It is um authentic identity management. And on that podcast, I have people on, you know, similar to you, and we talk about their journeys towards authenticity. Um, some people are like, I've had people who are CEOs and people who are um, my most recent guest, who's uh, the episode drops on Thursday. She is a, uh, a play educator who works in a, a nature reserve. And she is like, probably the the biggest quote unquote hippie I know, but she is one of the best people I've ever met in my entire life. And her story is so very interesting. And her approach to life is so different than mine, but it's so enlightening to hear those kinds of stories of people who are doing it their own way. They're being true to themselves and they are finding massive success in life. So that's, that's what my show is about. And I love doing those interviews. Uh, it's really fun. It's really enlightening. And unfortunately, it's not a, a viable business model at this mm-hmm. moment. So I've got to, I've got to find find my tribe so I can, you know, start speaking to the people who need to hear me. So you know they can find value in what I'm doing, and eventually they will value me enough to, to you know, to invest in me. All right. Well, uh, so we'll have links to all that stuff uh, in the show notes, so people can go click check those out. Uh, but, uh, next question I want to ask you is, you know, we are a superhero film podcast, so we talk about superheroes and what is kind of your history with superheroes? Man. Um, I would say I've got a pretty storied history with, uh, superheroes. I've been a fan of comic books for as long as I can remember. Um, man, me and my brother used to walk to the comic book store um, and the, you know, the comic book store where we buy either cards or comics. And we did that from the time I was probably, I can think of being eight years old and walking to the, you know, the comic book store. And even before that, my, my dad used to take us. So like, yeah, I've probably been reading comic books since I was like six or seven years old. Uh-huh. And, um, I've always had a, a enormous love for the comic book culture and for superheroes um, I'm definitely, I'm not one of those, you know, people who are like, I've always pulled for the villain. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not that guy. Like, I love a good superhero. I'm uh, a total sap. But I also, I also like a little bit of an antihero as well. Like, you know, my name is Bruce Wayne. So Batman has always been pretty high up on my list. Um, big fan of him. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that Batman's my favorite. I go, I kind of jump around with a few. Wolverine has mm-hmm. always been really high up there for me. Um, when I was really young. 
uh, Puck from the uh, from Alpha Flight. Alpha was, Flight, yeah, yeah. Who actually kind of reminds me of you, which is funny. Uh, was <laughs> one of my favorite uh, superheroes for a long time, and I've always liked the Incredible Hulk as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've always liked people who were, I guess, a little bit antisocial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's I think that's a common thread between all of those. Um, they're intelligent in their own way. They do things their own way. They don't need people to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, Logan will go on his own for years, you know, decades at a time if he wants to. And right. he's perfectly okay with that. Like, that's just how he gets down. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how I was for a lot of my life. And so I always kind of connected with that. Um, as far as the movie culture, like, as soon as they started making superhero movies, like, and I was old enough to see them, we were seeing them. Like mm-hmm. My dad was always big on taking us to the movies, so we always went and saw whatever the, the new, you know, I remember seeing the, uh, the, oh my gosh, Michael Keaton, Batman. Oh like, yeah, 89 I was, Batman, yeah. I was way, way too young to be watching that, but I still, like, I still loved it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've just been a big fan of, superheroes for as long as i can think of okay awesome very cool uh and so you said you had gotten started into comics so what uh if you remember what what comic characters were kind of like the first ones that you became really interested in the first ones um i think the x-men were probably were probably the first strong like character set that i you know before it was like kind of jumping around and just like reading mm-hmm. whatever i could get my hands on but i remember right. the x-men were kind of um they kind of really stuck out for me i i actually had this really old like 1970 uh, something x-men where you know it was like the beast and like this blue and yellow costume with his like you know regular human toes that were just like mm-hmm. massive and i was like that was like oh this is so cool and mm-hmm. um the X-Men were probably the strongest for a while. And then like, I got into Superman a little bit later, whenever, uh, like after the death of Superman, like that was like a, a formative time in my, uh, my comic book culture. Cause mm-hmm. whenever they, when he was reborn and they had the four different covers of the, right. know, of Kal-El and the man of steel. And like, I was like, I gotta have all these. Like mm-hmm. I need to, I need to get into all of this. And I thought that was so cool that they remade a character that had been around since the beginning of comic books. Mm-hmm. And, they just completely re-envisioned it and like i I didn't stay up with it too long um but i always liked the re-envisioning of characters like the Mm -hmm. the the 2099 series like uh spider-man 2099 x-men 2099 right the hulk like i loved those like i went i went deep and like i had the first five or six of you know several of those different 2099 series somewhere Mm -hmm. in (laughs) in a like unknown location my wife doesn't think they're important, so she keeps just like putting them wherever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know that yeah, I've just always liked the re envisioning of superheroes. Uh, same goes with movies when they remade Batman and uh, Christopher Nolan did did that. Like that was my favorite take. Like to me, it blew mm-hmm. all the other ones out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, even like even the comic book ones, and I I really enjoyed several Batman comics, but to me, like Christopher Nolan's Batman was like it was it. Mm-hmm. And you know, and now. As much as I throw hissy fits about them re you know recasting Batman and redoing it, like I, I watch it every time and I'm just I'm floored by the uh, by the remake. I'm just like, mm, they did it again and it's still interesting. 
You know, even I was like, Ben Affleck, how dare you? Damn, he was good. <laughs> Robert Pattinson, what are you thinking? Damn, he was good. <laughs> like, I, you know, I had, they obviously know what they're doing with Batman. Now, everything mm-hmm. else, I can't say that they do, but with Batman, they, they know how, how to cast him and how to build that character. And I think that's partly a testament to how, how flushed out he is in all the different, uh, comic book versions that there's mm-hmm. so much there's so much to work from there right right okay very cool uh now today we are talking about uh a different kind of superhero movie um but uh and that is uh unbreakable which uh 2000 film written and directed by m night Shyamalan, and this was like his big follow-up to um the sixth sense after he hit it really big with that and uh, one of the interesting things about this and, and something Shyamalan talked about, because I don't know if you remember um, what, like when the trailers for this were still coming out, but I do remember seeing like trailers for it and stuff like that and thinking that, oh, it's, um, you know, it's just a, another like psychological thriller he's doing. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll get around to seeing it someday. And then mm-hmm. afterwards, I heard a lot of people on like message boards and things like that saying like, wow, this is like the best superhero film ever made. I'm like, wait, wait, it's a superhero film. I had no idea Say about what? any of that. And then so that's what first got me interested in it. So like right off the bat, the marketing, for, they, they marketed this in the complete wrong way because the the studio wanted to bank on the Sixth Sense success. So they wanted to promote the fact that this is Shyamalan's next psychological thriller. And, and Shyamalan, he's like, I, I didn't want to advertise it like that. I wanted to advertise it as a superhero movie, but the studio Did wouldn't he let really? me. Yeah, yeah. He wanted really? to advertise this as a superhero movie. Um, but the the studio's like, no, 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 no. We have to we have to advertise it as a psychological thriller because that's what you're popular about now. And see, that's and funny because I, I actually thought that was part of the draw to it was that it was you weren't expecting it to be like I, I rewatched it with my kids this week and I didn't tell them it was a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, Well, what is what is it about? And I was like, It's about a guy who is like living a very regular life and isn't really happy with it. And then something amazing happens to him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that's not, you're not telling us anything. I was like, that's what I got whenever they marketed it. And that's what you get to know too. Like, that's all mm-hmm. I'm giving you. <laughs> and they were like, whatever. And then they, they enjoyed the movie. They, they, they loved it. Yeah. And so I, I think it was, you know, that kind of like setting that low bar. Mm-hmm. And then especially back then, superhero movies were something that there were like, Oh yeah. There was a lot that came with that. And it was like, yeah. you know, it wasn't a great time to be a superhero movie because it was like either, you know, boom or bust, like either is this like massive success or it was a huge, like money wasting flop. Right. So yeah, I, and I, I thought that he did it on purpose. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think, um, and I th- but I think you're, you're, what you just said there kind of highlights the studio's anxiety about doing it that way because, you know, they, yeah, the biggest, yeah, you had something like Blade, but Blade wasn't advertised as a superhero movie. It was advertised as like this, you know, martial arts vampire film so nobody nobody who unless you were a comics fan nobody going into blade knew that blade was a superhero and i think mm-hmm. they had kind of a x-men just came out like the summer before this so it wasn't and x-men was probably like the first superhero movie that was actually you know a superhero movie that really kind of hit it big in the in the modern age everyone talks about blade mm-hmm. but that wasn't advertised as a superhero film and that was kind of and so when the time they would have still had the thinking like, okay, maybe X-Men is just a fluke. We can't jump on the superhero train yet. Let's just advertise this as a, as a psychological thriller. I think that's exactly what they were thinking um, mm-hmm. when Shyamalan said he wanted to advertise it as a superhero movie. 
It's funny that you mentioned Blade. Blade was one of those movies for me that was like a game changer. I thought it mm-hmm. was so freaking cool. I knew, I knew, like you know, I'd been in the comic book culture. I knew that he was a comic book character. Right. And uh, are you okay? No, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was this game changing movie. It's like I knew it was a like I read about Blade. I thought he was cool, but seeing Wesley Snipes, who at the time. Was a he was a megastar. He mm-hmm. was he was like he couldn't miss. Right. And so like I'd watched um, at that point. I think he'd released Pastor Fifty Seven, and uh, uh, what was the one on the subway? It was like, oh my gosh, I don't know, you know that. There was also I I don't know that one, but I do know there was also Demolition Man with he he did with Stallone. Demolition Man, which which is a low key banger. I watched oh, yeah. Demolition oh, yeah. I watched Demolition Man no less than 30 times in my life. <laughs> and as much as much as it doesn't hold up culturally, it actually makes it funnier, which is it, great because there's you know Yeah, I don't this, think it has this comedy component. Yeah, so it's like it I, was perfect. I don't think they were really intending it to kind of be remembered as like a comedy, but it is more of a com- looked at as a comedy these days. I mean, what's uh, lucky Rob Schneider's in it, so it actually makes sense. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, there's, there's this big comedian in it, and Wesley Snipes has done funny movies like White Man Can't Jump and another couple of other funny movies. So it's, you know, he's not, not known for that. So it doesn't even seem like it was this like hugely mm-hmm. inappropriate movie when, when it was made that, you know, it actually just seems like it was supposed to be funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, having him do this superhero movie was kind of like setting the stage for all the things that are happening now. Oh where yeah, you've got these massive stars, you know, waiting for that Marvel call. Mm-hmm. And um, I, if he hadn't have done that, I don't know that it would have been the way that it. If the if the temperature would have been as warm as it is for those people to do it now. Yeah. But, no, yeah, I think this is a. I think this was a big shift in. Um, People, what people thought about with um, uh, superhero movies, right? Because up until this, the image that most people would have in their head, at least the freshest image, would be like the the Joel Schumacher Batman films, which um, which can be fun in their own way, but that's not which it's not what you'd call a serious superhero movie. And which which one was Joel Schumacher's last? He didn't do did he do Batman and Robin? Yeah, yeah, he did Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. God. <laughs> I will say it it Batman and Robin holds up better if you look at it as a as a 90s take on Batman 66. Okay. I and, and it, I, I will also say that Batman and Robin was it was better whenever it came out than Batman mm-hmm. Forever. Batman Forever was just never really good. And yeah, Batman I, and Robin I still was can't, like, it was good at the time. Yeah, I still can't uh, I still can't cop to Batman. I can find things to like about Batman and Robin, but Batman Forever I I maintain now is is the worst of that original series. Yes, um, agreed. And uh, so when this came out, nobody really knew what it was at the time because of the that that poor marketing campaign. So it didn't really, it wasn't very successful at the time. And a lot of I think at first a lot of people were like, "Oh, it's it's not like the Sixth Sense. It's not that good." And then over time, I think people have started to develop new opinions about this movie as they kind of as the public becomes more familiar with superheroes. And, and, and I'm sure that you're pretty familiar with, you know, M. Night Shyamalan as a whole. Like, like it's it's both a gift and a curse to be an M. Night Shyamalan movie because mm-hmm. you're it's it's automatically held to this like extremely high critically acclaimed standard, whilst also it's being expected to be like the thing that he that he did that hit recently before it. Mm-hmm. You know, the next thing after Science was supposed to be like Science Two, and it wasn't. 
I think it was was the village after signs. I believe so. So the village and signs were not the same. They both were kind of both spooky, but that was that's the only comparison that there was. Mm-hmm. Like they were not even close. Um, but once, like I think, once you just trust that M Night Shyamalan is going to deliver a good movie, that you, mm-hmm. if you don't expect what it is, that's whenever you get gold because the dude is one of the most original thinkers in Hollywood who is constantly trying to do something different than what's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lady in the Water was one of my favorite movies for a long time. Not, is that is that's what it's called, right? Uh, I yeah, Lady in the Water. Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen it in a long time, but whenever it came out, I watched it like fifty times. Mm-hmm. You know, it had a great cast. Like he's all he's been really good at making sure that the 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 cast of characters supports the the script and like. I really feel like he hit his stride with that with Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, you know, I like the sixth sense, like Haley Joe Osmond's a little kid, but he did a great job. Um, Bruce Willis, same. And I feel like, you know, he, I don't know if they were, if they were perfect for the character that they played, but they did a really good job in mm-hmm. this, in Unbreakable. I feel like he cast everybody in, or I don't I know that he didn't do the casting, I, but I'm sure that he wrote the characters and made sure that people who could play them, yeah, were in the exact perfect roles. Like nobody else could have been Mister Glass the way mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson was. Yeah, like, and then also doing it for twenty years. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so you you are obviously a much bigger um, Shyamalan fan than than I am. Uh, I like my whole thing about him is, I think Unbreakable is definitely my favorite movie of his. Um, mm-hmm. And I and like I I haven't seen a lot of his more recent stuff. Like I never saw from lady in the water on until about on, I haven't really seen any of his stuff except for glass and split. Like other than that, I haven't seen like any of the other stuff he's done in the past. Ooh, almost 20 years actually. <laughs> yeah. The last one I saw of his so, was the village almost 20 years. It's been. Wow. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I can speak to everything. So I'm not really good with time. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering what was after lady in the water. Uh, so there was Lady in the Water, then The Happening, The Last Airbender, After Earth, The Visit, Split, Glass, Old, and then Knock at the Cabin, which I don't think has come out yet. I think it's coming out later this this month, maybe. So Old, I, I've seen all of those except for Old and Knock at the Cabin because I kind of stopped watching terrifying movies whenever mm-hmm. I like turned... I think whenever I hit about 27 or so, I was just like, mm-hmm. why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> so we only watch uh, scary movies in October in my house now. And, okay. Um, you know, for the Halloween stuff for us here in America. But I'd seen all the other ones. And, um, you know, th- the same thing holds true is that he's going to deliver something different than what mm-hmm. is out there. It's going to be different than what's expected. It's going to have a strong cast of characters. And sometimes you have to suspend disbelief, like with the happening. Um you have to you have to be willing to like just buy into the premise of the movie, mm-hmm. and then once you can do that, then it's a great movie. But if you if you stay a skeptic, then that movie is not going to be enjoyable for you because there's going to be this one big piece of the premise that if you don't accept it, then it's just like you're just you're not actually able to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just what I've noticed, and like I've always I've always been good at just buying in, and mm-hmm. also separating myself from my first reaction and going back and watching it again with his movie specifically, because I trusted he was going for something. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't get it, I assumed that I was, I was trying to make the, the thing that I thought was going to happen be the thing he was going for. I'm mm-hmm. like, damn it. 
So let me watch it again and see what see what it was actually about. Usually, it's I've been happy with it. Um, I ha- I've only watched uh, Glass once, and that's that was an accident. The Last mm-hmm. Airbender was it was unfortunate because The Last Airbender is one of my favorite all time cartoon series, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't bad. It just wasn't the Avatar cartoon. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It was. It was too close, but not close enough. Mm-hmm. Like I wish they'd gone. I wish he'd gone a more M Night Shyamalan type path and done something different with it, or waited five years for the CGI to catch up and be able to do some like really amazing things because mm-hmm. it's like pretty good, but it's it's just not it's not there yet. Mm-hmm. So there's supposed to be a, a new Netflix version coming out like any day now. That's oh, really? Supposed to be live action uh, Avatar. Oh yeah, yeah, the new mm-hmm. Avatar. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one um, so, seems to be. I've only seen a little bit of the of the animated show, but I know I, I've got I've got friends who are big fans of it, and they're really looking forward to that. How have that you movie. not? Like, how have they? How have your friends allowed this? Well, I just missed the boat on it because I that came out I think around the time I was in moving to Japan, so I wasn't able to keep up with a lot of TV shows that I wasn't already familiar with to begin with. Well, here's the thing: um, I rewatched it. Uh, about six eight months ago and it holds mm-hmm. up it's still good it's on netflix and it's you know a great binge watching show and then once you finish that you can hit up the legend of qatar or mm-hmm. i'm gonna do it i'm gonna say it wrong again legend, the legend of, of Korra. Korra. yeah the legend of Korra. i always want to say qatar because that's a uh, that's her grandma but the legend of Korra, and that's another great show mm-hmm. very different but it's also similar in all the good ways yeah yeah um but as far as Shyamalan's films go like one of the things I like about this one compared to a lot of his other movies that I've seen is the twist here. Cause you know, the, the whole thing about him is his, his twist endings that he, he likes to throw in. Um, but I think what works about unbreakable, like for sick, for me, for example, with the sixth sense, not, I, my feeling on that is that once I know the twist, when I go back and rewatch the sixth sense, I'm not that interested in it. Like the twist was really kind of like the big thing that had me going with that movie. Um, but whereas Unbreakable, I think it's it's a much stronger story. Throw so yeah. even even once you know the twist is coming, the story is still satisfying uh, even with that knowledge. So watching this like uh, on the second or third viewing, I actually enjoy it more as opposed to the first viewing. Which most of his films, it's I'll enjoy it the first time usually because of the twist. But here it was more about the the characters and the twist was felt more organic to this. And I think that also is kind of attributed to the same thing I said about M. Night Shyamalan films is that his blessing is also his curse. And that, yeah. that in The Sixth Sense, the twist was so good and it mm-hmm. was so surprising that it, it dwarfed the the quality of the rest of the movie. Yes. So when, once you were just knocked off your feet by that twist, there's no way you could go back to the beginning of the movie because it, it, it doesn't measure up. Like it's yeah. just like that. And because it was... Dude, I remember just being gobsmacked whenever that twist happened. I was like, "Holy crap!" Mm. <laughs> like, and so in this twist, I don't feel like is nearly as big. It's more of a subtle twist. It's um, well, and there's there's a couple of twists also. Like, so what is what is your view on spoilers in the show? Are we just gonna just dig yeah. into it completely and just ruin it? I, it's Go right ahead. Movie, I mean, so. it's yeah. This is this movie is 23 years old. I don't think we're gonna be. Um, surprising anybody like if, if anybody was waiting 22 23 years to see this movie i don't think they're that much invested in whether or not it gets spoiled that's a good point um so like there you know i feel like there was the initial twist of like 
oh wait, he never actually has been injured, and mm-hmm. uh, he's you know this dude is actually a superhero, like yeah. cool. But then the, the the final twist that uh, everything that had proven that he was a superhero was created by Elijah. Mm-hmm. Try becoming a supervillain, trying to find his antithesis. Yeah, like, that was like like a really great twist, but it was it was pretty foreseeable had you thought about it like so it wasn't like i never could have figured that out. i was like damn i should have figured that out mm-hmm. but you know he did a good job of like you know of kind of playing it to where it's like you just didn't think about it so i think that's like the the twist like the twist uh extremity to rest of the watchable movie is like a ratio it's like mm-hmm. as soon as that twist gets way up here it makes the rest of the movie just kind of like garbage compared to it this one was like a nice you know, a couple of nice subtle twists that were pretty, you know, pretty mm-hmm. good, and then it makes the rest of the movie good still. And also, like, you know, Bruce Willis is he's uh, he is meant to be a superhero, and the fact that this is the best, ver- like the closest we get to him being like a full out superhero mm-hmm. is is kind of it's kind of a a little bit of a travesty because you know he could have been, you know, I don't know, like I can't say that he would have actually been Thor, but he could have been some huge superhero by his presence like the mm. way that he you know he was actually like the the first real action hero that like i know of you know and die hard and uh there's another one called hostage if you've ever seen never seen that one that's a really mm. good movie um which bruce willis is superhero-esque in the way that he does things like he's basically the punisher mm-hmm. he's just uh they just don't call him a superhero punisher right. is well that some people call him a superhero. Some people <laughs> just say that he just exists in the superhero universe. But right, I don't. Yeah, so I, I I do appreciate that he was able to get this and do such a great job with it. But I, I also think that he could have been many other kinds of superheroes. But he was probably too short and too bald. Mm. Yeah, I think you could actually make an argument for um, a lot of those '80s action movies. You could you could make an argument that they're su- that they are superhero movies of a kind. I mean, there's some yeah. some that definitely cross that line, like RoboCop. I think could de- would definitely qualify as a su- more of a superhero film. But other ones, like you've got these characters who are superhuman esque. They're usually have these really great physiques, and you know they're able to survive all these you know impossible situations. So yeah, there's a definite argument to be made that a lot of those, you know, high octane action thrillers are are, are more like superhero movies. Um, mm. And uh, what I like about this is how it, and you know, we talk a lot about. Um, there's a lot of talk about you know making superheroes realistic, make them fit into a real world type setting, and you know different attempts like it, like you mentioned the Nolan Batman films. Those were an attempt to kind of have Batman in the real world. The Matt Reeves films too. Also, it's more of like this attempt to have like this grounded version uh, of Batman. And um, one of the things my late co-host uh, would say about like the Nolan films is that in trying to make a realistic Batman movie, they just prove that Batman doesn't make sense in the real world. And and I think you could and you you look at those movies and they are good. I enjoy them a lot, but it never makes me feel like this could happen in the real world. But something like this, it's. It, it's so grounded in reality and it's the the things he's able to that both him and and glass are able to do it's like it's just short of like the it, it falls right below that line of uh suspension of disbelief it doesn't cross over to it because you know for example when you're in um 
if you're in a Marvel movie, for example, you know that your 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 suspension of disbelief meter is very high for that. You have no expectation that this could ever work in the real world. But something like, you know, the Dark Knight or the Batman, it goes just past that line because it's like, oh, it's so close to reality, but it still doesn't feel like this could be real. This, though, it feels like it could be real. Like these, you know. 1,000%. Yeah. Like, Man, I think, not, like um, what what uh, what Mr. Glass says is like, you know, it's it's as simple as instinct. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, something that we've, you know, him being able to bump into somebody and see what's in them. It's like it's just a a hyper, like a hyper developed instinct. And I was like, right. oh, and his strength is just like a hyper developed strength. It's not. He's like honestly, what he was benching, I push up more than that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't been working out for the last couple of months, but I was, you know, he topped out at 325 or 350. I was pushing out, you know, almost 400 pounds whenever I was lifting a lot. So mm-hmm. that's not like, it's not that much, but for somebody who's never really exercised or never right. really worked out, never been a bodybuilder, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So imagine if he was training to be strong, like imagine what he could act, imagine the possibility that exists within that man. If he were to actually be working to make himself a superhero. Right. Like, that seems so realistic. Mm-hmm. Like just untapped potential because for one, he didn't know. And for two, he like lied to himself like so well, which is funny. Like it's part of the reason why I chose the movie is because it kind of parallels the life that people lead that I'm, that I'm, you know, trying to coach against mm-hmm. is that he was, you know, asleep to his real purpose because he'd been lying to himself about what mm-hmm. really happened in that car wreck. It just, he just, you know, he wanted to get away from the life he was leading, so he just lied to himself. Yeah. And that's yeah. like that's what I did before I started to, you know, live my authentic life. And I was like, dude, this movie has a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. And then once, you know, somebody came along and, and woke him up to it, all of a sudden all this strength that was going untapped became unleashed. And well, I, I think also that was so cool. Yeah, it could also, you know, similar to that, um, what I was thinking when you were talking about that too, is it could also work as like a metaphor for, you know, dealing with a midlife crisis. Um, because mm-hmm. he's got this situation where, you know, he's on the verge of a divorce. He, he's thinking about, you know, changing careers, finding something. He, he, his, his life is not fulfilling basically. And mm-hmm. he's trying, and he is going through that kind of midlife crisis. I think like when he's on the train at the beginning of the movie and he's flirting with that, with that, uh, passenger, um, even the, when, when he takes that ring off, he his takes finger, the ring off right at the that start. To yeah. me was it the exact, exact thing that I'm talking about? I was like, Oh, what is Dude, he's he's just completely forsaking everything. He he's literally taking his vow off of his finger mm-hmm. and putting it in his pocket so he can pretend like he's somebody else. Right. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah, and that and that goes to like uh, um goes to what you were saying. It also goes to this idea of him having like this midlife crisis. Right. He's trying to chase younger women. He's trying to chase better opportunities, and you know his he he doesn't feel connected to his family really at all, and. Mm-hmm. And then as he goes through this movie, as he discovers what his real purpose is, right, going through the, you know, trying to handle the crisis in a healthy way, in a productive way, and try and, fi- and change his purpose in life. And then by the end of the movie, we see that that has definitely paid off for him, right? Him and his wife are seem to be reconciling now. He's got a better relationship with his son. He feels like he matters now, as whereas before, I think he kind of felt like he was just going through the motions a lot. You know, and as Mr. Glass said, he's like, when you wake up, do you feel a pit in your stomach? Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel sadness? And he was like, yeah. And then after he started to, 
or after he'd, you know, stepped into his purpose, mm-hmm. he said, do you still feel it? And he said, no. And yeah. that, that, is, that to me is what it's all about is when you start living your purpose and you start like accepting what you're meant to do in this life, mm-hmm. you stop feeling so apathetic to the world. You right. start feeling like there's something that you're supposed to wake up and do. And that's, you know, that's an exciting feeling. So like, I was like, oh yeah, like gay for him. Mm-hmm. And you know, the only thing I didn't like is that they were going to keep it a secret from his mom. Like, Tell him, like, tell her, like, she's, you know, somebody that close to you deserves to know yeah. this incredible power that you have. Like, that's kind of unfair to them to keep it a secret. No, yeah, I guess it's, you know, I guess they're trying to, um, at least in this first movie, uh, you know, try and just kind of like establish a basic kind of, you know, the superhero parallels type of thing. So using those archetypes of how, you know, oh, the love interest cannot know my secret identity and all that kind of stuff. Whereas he which, might have, which is so dumb, like because it actually makes them more at risk. Like, you right. think that not knowing that somebody's going to come for you if they find out who I am mm-hmm. makes you more safe? Absolutely not. Like that makes right. like they should at least have an idea. Like, hey, make sure you keep the doors locked because somebody might come for you if I if I let them get away. Like, well, know. I think that's why a lot of uh, you might notice a lot more modern adaptations are quickly undoing with that plot idea pretty early on. Like, you know. Um, the the recent Superman, My Adventures of Superman, the recent animated series, right? That one, it has Jimmy and Lois find out Clark is Superman, you know, within a few episodes. And mm. then it, so it's, it creates a whole new dynamic for their relationship. Same thing with, you know, again, another Superman example, but Superman and Lois, right? Everybody in his life knows that he's Superman. All the people he's close to, they know his secret. And it's created um, interesting story uh, potentials because we've already seen the, uh, Superman tries to keep his identity secret from Lois Lane's story a thousand times. So right. seeing it where mm-hmm. Lois is in on it and they're married and they have a family, it creates a whole new set of relationships and interactions to go along with that. Absolutely. And yeah, I think if this movie had continued on, like, cause obviously this wasn't very successful when it came out and it's become more well-regarded over time. But you know, when it came out, it, it, it wasn't successful. So the chance of expanding on any of this stuff, in like a in like a direct sequel to Unbreakable, wasn't really there, so we didn't have that opportunity. And then and then we jump into straight with, you know, Split ended up being such a success, and then they're able to come back and bring the bring all three of them back together. Which, in glass. Did, did you do any research to uh, to find out if he originally had written those things to happen um, as part of the overall story, but it just didn't get to come to fruition because the the first one was so unsuccessful. Yeah, I don't know if he had ever had plans to do anything further, um, but I feel like if he had, then I think we could have seen him play around with some of these expectations, like with the yeah. with the with the relationship with his wife and all that. So we might have seen mm-hmm. something uh, come in 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 later movies if he had gotten to make those later movies. I don't know if he had ever planned to make any other ones. I think it would be interesting uh, to know what his original idea was, um, but but it wasn't ent- really until split that we really got this kind of a uh it would like this not not a sequel but kind of like a, a side cool i guess you'd say where it's it's, it's I think a side cool is a pretty good name for it yeah. yeah um and then and then we then because split was so successful he was finally able to do a more of a proper superhero movie with uh with glass which i don't know about you but i i was actually very i was very disappointed in i didn't really enjoy glass as much as i hoped to <clears throat> Um, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I had hoped. No, I, I, well, let me, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as Unbreakable, but I didn't have high expectations for it mm-hmm. because it was 20 years after, like the story was cold in my mind. Like I, I just wasn't 
and I like I didn't rewatch it. Like usually I'd go back and rewatch the first two movies before watching mm-hmm. the, a third like that. But this was at the fire station and it was just like, hey, we're watching we're watching a glass. And I was like, oh, man, I'm not ready. Like, I'm not ready. But mm-hmm. they were watching it and I didn't want to you know get left out. And so I watched it and like I didn't have the connection with the characters that I would have had if I had rewatched the the original first. And, you know, Split hadn't been too long before, but it was still, you know, I, it could have deserved a rewatch because I like to be able to like. I know the writer is going to be fresh with the connections that he's trying to make. And mm-hmm. I, I want to, I want to be in that mindset to see them if the, if they did a good job bringing them, but I wasn't, I wasn't in a good mindset to make that judgment. So mm-hmm. it's like, I didn't, I didn't blame the movie. I was just like, for me, it was like, it wasn't a good setup for me to go see the movie in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was in the, I was pretty excited for glass. I was in, a, I was in the pretty good space to see it, but it just, it just did not deliver. I don't, and I'm not even sure what I was expecting, but I was expecting something that would was at least on par with Unbreakable and Split, and it it just it wasn't even on par with it. So that that's mostly what was. Do you think Split was on par with Unbreakable? Um, very close. I I, I still prefer Unbreakable, but Split is is a very close. It's very close to it. It's, they're they're both. It's very good. I thought Split was. Uh, I, mean, I think it's very good too, but I, you know, as far as superhero movies go, or you know, I guess in that case, it'd be super villain movies. Like mm. it just like it didn't it didn't hit all the you know all the all the notes for me. Like you know, it was like a a concert that was just like missing an instrument or two, and I don't really know what it was. Maybe it was missing that uh that that super strong like a uh, uh, protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can like I can't even remember who played opposite. Uh, the you know the the main character like i mm-hmm. don't remember who it was like so that to me kind of says uh maybe that maybe that was what was missing so i, I like a strong protagonist i like to know yeah. you know who's gonna who's gonna come fight this guy mm-hmm. yeah um so i think uh in terms of as a superhero movie i think unbreakable is definitely a much stronger one obviously split it you know it it's not it wasn't really marketed as being uh, a superhero movie, uh, and it's um, you know it, it's not really until you're watching the movie that you get towards the end and you see uh, David Dunn appear, then that that everything starts to fit together. Then, but yeah, a, as far as just like this being a superhero movie, Split doesn't fall as much in that category as Unbreakable does. And so I, I looked it up real quick, and yeah, it, whenever in my Shyamalan originally wrote unbreakable it was supposed to be part of a trilogy mm-hmm. so um it was you know it was supposed to be this bigger thing and i wish i wish hollywood would have been able to see the potential there mm-hmm. um to to do it as he had wanted to because i would have liked to have seen them closer together like i think they did a good job of you know of making it seem like the appropriate amount of time passed in the movie like i don't feel like mm-hmm. that was an actual hindrance but i feel mm-hmm. like the uh i feel like you would have M. Night Shyamalan had to work harder to write better movies and like in a time when the CGI couldn't do so much of the work for you. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the last movie was kind of CGI heavy and it didn't feel like part of the same trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that like that's what I remember feeling like my biggest disconnect was like this doesn't feel in in really any way like split or unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like, oh, this doesn't feel like a trilogy. Like I feel like split was like if unbreakable was on this side split was on the other side of the coin but yeah. they like they balanced each other out pretty well 
you know, there there was the same kind of like level of darkness in them and this kind of grittiness. And like, I felt like that, it, that ag- agreed and complemented with each other. And then Glass just kind of came in and was just like, ah, I'm a crazy mm-hmm. cousin who doesn't really belong a part of this family. Like, mm. that's kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a disappointment. Um, now, with going back to Unbreakable, though, um, one of the things that, as much as I enjoy this movie, one of the things that always makes me stumble a little bit is the origin of Elijah's whole theory. Like, it, it definitely feels like he's, he's reaching here with his theory of like, because I was born with, um, with brittle bones. I thought that there must be someone on the opposite side of the spectrum, someone who doesn't get hurt. I mean, I thought that theory is kind of half baked and I'm, I I would have liked a little bit more of explanation as to how this theory of his developed, because the way it's presented in the movie just doesn't really make sense. It it always kind of pulls me out of the film. How about you? What do you feel? about I, I, I agree that it's half baked. I actually think it's completely half baked, but I think that it's perfect because as uh, Robin Wright Penn's character says, like, uh, you know, Bruce Willis's wife is that when people are that damaged, Mm -hmm. when they spend that much time alone in hospital beds, their brain starts to like, starts to rot to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had nothing but time to think and to imagine and to dream and to get into this, like this mental loop of, mm-hmm. I can't be alive for this and mm-hmm. nothing else. Like, so he had to tell himself a story mm-hmm. and the story that he told himself was the one of the thing that he loves the most. He loves comics. Mm-hmm. And so if you're stuck in bed and can't go anywhere and can't do anything, wouldn't you want to tie yourself into the thing that you love the most? Like make yourself, you know, if you are just trying to think of any other kind of uh, like good, like uh, an analogy. Mm. Um, if you, if you love history, like if you are a major history buff and you have nothing but time to imagine, wouldn't you like to imagine one of your ancestors as the, you know, as one of the founding fathers, like, you don't like you've never re- researched your genealogy. You don't know that you're not like, why not tell yourself that story to keep your mind excited and involved. And then when you are telling yourself that story for so long, you're going to start to, to ingest a little bit more and more of it each time. And I feel like that was like really well thought out, like that they were doing that on purpose. Like he didn't have that much to go on, but he's kind of crazy. So that's all he needed. Yeah. And I, I could see that M- my whole issue with that is, the movie basically says that he was right <laughs> is kind of is my whole thing about that. And so mm. like the whole. Which is why it would have been interesting if there was like some scene at the end or something where you find out that if you had like a I mean, I, granted, probably be a, a bit of a cliche to say it was all a dream, but that would. That would make more sense in in terms of the idea of otherwise, it, it almost feels like he's that Elijah's madness and he and these leaps to these conclusions are almost justified i, I think to, to me it's more like a, a broke clock is still right twice a day yeah like his mind a, yeah. is his mind is totally addled and he's making these crazy assumptions but he he's the only person who's crazy enough to go out and test them by blowing up a, <coughs> a train mm-hmm. and so maybe if there was somebody who was more sane was was able to do the research in a more reasonable way, but they wouldn't have they wouldn't accept the belief that it even exists to mm-hmm. do the research. So it took somebody this crazy to do the thing. You know, it's like this this loop where it took somebody this crazy to believe something this crazy to mm-hmm. do something this crazy. 
And yeah. I think that's to me, like that's the part that they leaned into is that he has to be crazy or else there's no excuse for him doing the the thing. You can't like him at all as a character and you can't bring mm-hmm. him back in a sequel because he's a, he's a literal monster. Yeah. He's not a monster. Like they, they're able to excuse his, his things because he's just, he's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, so you still kind of like him. You still kind of, you're still kind of rooting for him. You're like, you know, I hope, you know, whenever I rewatch it, it's like, I know he's the bad guy, but I hope he doesn't fall down the stairs again. No, mm-hmm. here comes a stair scene. Oh, God, he's still going to, like, it's still going to happen. You still feel bad for him because he's such a damaged person mm-hmm. that you can't just, you know, you can't look at him like a terrorist. Yeah. He's not yeah. some, he's not some person who is like, you know, strapping a bomb into their chest and just running into a place and hurting a bunch of people. He's, he's got a belief that is completely completely entrenched in his brain that nobody can convince him of anything else especially now that he's proven it to be correct but mm. even before that he was going to believe that until like i mean i guess he said i almost gave up but that was after 30 years of you know believing it and blowing stuff up for 10 years and so i mean he was pretty he's pretty committed mm. now what did you think of uh joseph david's son because i think his this is one of the things that that's I don't like this character in the movie. Like, and that's just me personally. Really? I, yeah, I'm not a fan of like these these child sidekicks in movies who drive most of the. Pl- I, I've always hated that kind of trope. It was it was bearable in Sixth Sense in large part because of Haley Joel Osment. But in general, I always kind of roll my eyes when we see these kinds of focus on on like some kid character who who seemingly his you know his innocent belief is stronger is makes him the smartest one in the movie type of thing like that kind of care archetype always has never been a fan of mine so he I, I can i can agree with the like you know him coming off as the smartest character in the movie i don't think that he did but i think that he definitely came off as much smarter than he was mm-hmm. because you know because he just believed but i also think there's a lot of strength in in that and just you know the childhood ability to just believe mm-hmm. and that if more of us as adults just believed more amazing things would happen for us, but we don't, mm-hmm. like we, you know, we skepticize and we analyze and we, you know, weigh opinions and blah, 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 all this thinking. And we don't ever just believe, like, imagine if you just believed you could do whatever you dreamed of, mm-hmm. like, just ima- like, imagine what that looks like. Imagine if you just had an, an un, an unlike, there's no proof of it whatsoever. There's nothing to back it up, but you just believed anyways that you were, whatever you dreamed of what could you accomplish and Mm -hmm. his belief in his father that way being a father now watching it like made me emotional i was like Mm -hmm. like whoo like that's you know his whenever they're you know when they're sitting there lifting weights and he adds weight instead of taking it off his his reckless belief in his dad that he is he is literally the strongest man in the world Mm -hmm. is is inspiring but it, it but it is reckless. It's reckless. It's absolutely reckless. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest it for anybody. But look what happened whenever you just believe. So you know that that's my that's my look on it. Is that I wish that there was more just believing in this world. I'm not that person. Like I'm a I'm a super skeptic. But I love to I love to think about people who are. I love mm. to know that there are people out there who exist who just believe in things and just have faith and just go on faith and belief and just oh. do it. Like that's like just knowing that person exists makes me want to believe in myself more, to try other things, to 
try to be greater than I am because, you know, if I can just believe, if I can just have a, an, you know, an eighth of that belief in myself, then like I could accomplish so much more. I mean, I think there's, there's a definite spectrum because you do have people who, I mean, like the, the QAnon folks believe despite all evidence to the contrary, and that's not exactly a healthy thing too. So I think there's a, there's a definite spectrum on belief there. Uh, and I think when you're, and I, I think well, the I mean, one, has of the, to be, one of the yeah. issues too, for me is just kind of like, and I guess that in a way this could be viewed as him like going through this midlife crisis, but the the kind of gaslighting David does with, with Joseph when like, you know, Joseph pulls the gun out on him and he is completely irrational in all this. And, and, and David keeps on doing the thing that has, that's driven Joseph to this point. Anyway, he keeps lying to him about it. And I'm just like, this is, and I don't know. I, I had, a, I had some issues with that, that part of it too. Like, just like the way so, he's see, I had, I had issues with that part as well. I, I like, I was like, why I guess you know I'm sitting here watching this with my kids and they're like, why are you? They're yelling at the TV. Why are you yelling or lying at him? Like, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's just double down on it and and be mean to the kid who is obviously traumatized. Yeah, like this kid is he is out of his mind. So you're gonna yell at him and tell him that you're gonna leave him. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is this is um you know getting kind of getting a little bit off subject, but like I was raised in in a way that the way that I was. I was kept in line was through guilt, fear, and shame. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that's the way that my family worked is like, if you do something wrong, we're going to make you feel bad. We're going to, you know, give you, we're going to spank you. We're going to, you know, we're going to make you right. regret the thing that you did. Like that's how I was raised. And so I, I, I rebel against that very strongly now because I've had my own kids. I know what that guilt, fear, and shame did to me. I know the places it drove me to, and it's not good. So like I try to raise my kids out of love and understanding. Like I try to put those things first. And um, whenever I, I see that happen, I'm just like, this is a movie, but this happens so often. How mm-hmm. often do you hear somebody yelling at their kid in the grocery store? Like probably in Japan, it's probably very different, but here that if, you know, if you don't put that down, I'll give you something to cry about. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like fear me. Like I'm your, I'm your parent. You need to fear me. And I'm like, they, they need to trust you. Like, yeah, they should trust you. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, I mean, to me, it's like one of the tragic things of, of growing up in America is that fear is prioritized over mm-hmm. trust in our parenting system is like, Oh yeah, I'm your dad. You need to fear me. And it's like, I like whenever I first had a kid, I initially thought like it was my job to be fear. Mm-hmm. And like, but like as my heart was breaking as i was trying to scare my daughter my oldest into doing something it was like this doesn't feel right like mm-hmm. i don't think this is what i'm supposed to do yeah. and so i i didn't do it like i listened to my heart and i was like i'm not going to i'm not going to do that like not saying i never yell never raise my voice i definitely do but it's it's my goal not to it's my goal to try to like get understanding and consensus on things and you know try to work together to accomplish things but it's it's just, it's so normalized to just, mm-hmm. you know, browbeat people in the fear. So then putting it in the movie, it made sense. Like it was just a, it was a mirror of what American parenting was. It was just like, mm-hmm. it kind of hurts to watch. <laughs> so what are some other things that stand out for you in this movie? Um, like I like the, the scene that you're talking about as much as I hate the way he addresses it, the way, like once again, that, that reckless belief in his father is actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. 
Mm-hmm. It's just that he is like, I, I just, I know it. I know it. Like, and that feeling of feeling like you're crazy because you know something is so true that you cannot deny it, yet the world is telling you to deny it. Mm-hmm. That is that is a, a feeling that I'm familiar with. Like, and it's a feeling that is like, I like whenever movies like play into emotions that I, I understand and that I've been through, but I haven't seen put on screen that, that often. I'm like, mm-hmm. ooh, that, that pulls up my heartstrings. So it's like that part is, you know, is really powerful. Um, uh, the the final battle scene with the, you know, or the, I guess really the first battle scene, the only battle scene is, is pretty intense. Like, um, I think his, I think that the, whenever I watched it the first time, the first mm-hmm. couple of times, whatever, I thought that his weakness being water, like I thought that was, I was like, this is shit. Like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. But being, being an older person now, like having a, you know, different outlook on the world, I think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that it's, you know, it, it can get inside you. Right. And, and it, and it can attack the things that, even if you've got invulnerable skin and you've got muscles that are impenetrable, mm-hmm. if it can get inside your mouth, it can end you. Right. Like, so yeah. it made sense to me that that thing was the weakness. Like I was like, okay, you know what? I didn't, I didn't love it before, but now actually I think it's because now I know that he could still be invulnerable. He could still be impenetrable. He could be damn near invincible, mm-hmm. but if water gets in his mouth or up his nose, he's going to die. There was a, I mean, he will, yeah, to to take this into back to a, a comic book realm, there is a, there was um uh, a Wolverine series that came out a few years ago. I think Jason Aaron wrote it. Um, I think it might have been Wolverine Weapon X, but um, but what ha- one of the things that happened in the story is there's this scene where Logan has to go, you know, swimming to some location or something, and the narration talks about how his greatest fear is water because you know he's you know he can heal from anything, he can take a lot of punishment, you know, his body can expel poisons it can heal cuts it can it can heal burns all that kind of stuff but his healing factor can't breathe for him so if water gets in his lungs there's nothing that his his healing factor can do like with with poison it can his body could spit the poison out but with water it 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 wouldn't be able to react to it and also the fact that he's got this metal skeleton means that he's right. much heavier so he would sink in water too so it's very easy and that made it and you know when i first saw that i'm just like wait this he's afraid of water. Then I, then I thought about it and I read it, kept reading on. I'm like, Oh wait, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I, I thought a similar thing when I rewatched this movie too, because I think you're right. I think the first time I saw it, the, the whole idea of him having, um, uh, him being having water is his weakness. And, uh, in retrospect, it, it makes more sense because he is this, you know, this, this big guy, this tough guy, he can withstand all this punishment, but and it takes something soft to be able to withstand him, right? Instead of the whole idea of you know, instead of fighting fighter with fu- with fire, you fight it with water. So here, you know, it's something that is much more, um, much more seemingly harmless. That's the the big risk to him. Yeah, and um, uh, usually, I like I, I'm kind of with the. Uh, the mentality that superheroes don't kill like, Mm -hmm. like if at all avoidable, they don't kill. And it seemed like he was going for the kill. Like initially it was like, he's just trying to pacify him. But the Mm -hmm. way he ended that choke suggested that he was trying to kill him. I think the guy died. Like he died. Right. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 
Like it was it so to me like that that was kind of a a little bit of a like there was a couple of like knocks on him as a superhero for me. It was like that was a little bit of a problem for me is like superheroes don't kill people if they have the choice not to. Uh, and then secondly is that his choices to as like he had to literally sit there and let several criminals go to get to this criminal. Like how do you do like how what kind of superhero lets a rapist go and lets a um what like there was like a kidnap like, of people who had done bad things. Like and I know, like I thought about it in, you know, in retrospect, it was like, he has to get somebody who he thinks is going to commit another crime, like a similar crime soon. So mm-hmm. he can follow them and prevent it versus like being the police and trying to arrest somebody who's done a crime that he can't prove necessarily. So like, I guess it made sense in that, but what kind of superhero could stand there and let those kinds of terrible people just walk free? Like that didn't make that part didn't make sense to me. No, I, he I thought, even bothered. I, I thought that was fine because I thought that made sense given and and I think the purpose of that scene is to show just what a monumental task this is mm-hmm. and just how much how much someone like him is needed. Because I mean, if you're because he has to, he's basically a, he's basically a, a nurse in a, in an emergency ward. He's got to, he's got to do triage to figure out what is the greatest threat, what, what deserves the priority. So I don't think it's that he's letting them go and that he's, he's fine with them getting away. I think it's just, he needs to, he needs to make that decision of what is his priority. And that's the, that's the dilemma Superman faces all the characters like Superman face all the time where he can hear all this stuff happening, but he has to only focus in on what he can prioritize, what is the biggest threat at the moment. So I really think that's what the movie was trying to show with that scene. I, I guess my, my problem is in the Superman example, he can hear all the things that are happening right now at the same time. And then he can, right. So it's not like he has to like, this person goes, this person goes, a couple minutes go by. Okay. This, this person's the one he can, you know, it's a, it's an immediate decision. Like right now, all these things are happening. I'm going to this one mm-hmm. versus I touched this person. They did a bad thing. Uh, they can go. I touched this person. They did a bad thing. Uh, they can go. It's not bad enough. Like, who is he to decide what's bad enough? Like, without, like, it doesn't seem like it really disturbs him. Like, I'm not I, I saying think that it, he, he. I think it's just I'm it's not overwhelming. That he chase down every one. I think it, it's just that it is overwhelming. And then, so when he focuses in on what is the greatest threat, he just has to make that his priority. So I give, I give a lot of leeway in that. I think what that intent was is, is more to show that just how much work is there is for him, for someone like him to do. Um, and, and how much that the city needs someone like him, um, because there are all these people out there. So, but he could, he's still only one man. He still has to make those decisions. Um, as for the- I'm not, I'm not saying that's a knock on him as a, as a, um, vigilante, but as mm. a superhero, I think, being willing to let that kind of crime go on without like, you know, some serious like struggle. Like, I feel like there should have been like a dance, like, you know, at least like a move towards mm-hmm. some, like, like maybe I should go out, but there was nothing. It was just like, Nope, you're good. You're good. Like, and I understand that he had to choose the greatest threat, but I would have been disturbed letting some of those people go. Mm-hmm. And like, that, to me, that's like, that's the superhero thing is like the, the anguish of not being able to save everybody. Like it didn't seem like that was there for him. He's like, I got one, did my job. And that's, yeah, so that's, that's a good point. Very... 
no, that's a good point. I think I think you've got a point there. Like it it, it would have been nice if there's a scene or something of him maybe going back there trying to find, you know, some trace or or something or if he's reading an article about it. Like maybe it's this article about the family being saved and like right below it is about this article about one of the people he let it get away and so if there's some right, sort of connection yeah. like that I think I agree I think that would have been much better. Um the killing part doesn't bother me too much because of what a grounded situation this is and what kind of you know you know the limits of that he has to deal with and the fact that it's his first time out I I can I can justify that. I mean if it's someone like Superman uh then I don't I'm not as justified with it. If it's someone like Batman who explicitly takes a vow not to kill, then I'm not really okay with that. But, you know, for example, if we see like, you see Iron Man or Captain America kill someone in the middle of a heated battle, I'm more okay with that. That doesn't bother me because those two characters, there are limits to how much Cap can do. He's going to try not to kill if he can. But, you know, at the end of the day, there might there might be situations where he doesn't have the luxury that someone like Superman has of having all that power. I, that, that's kind of difficult for me to, to gauge because in Marvel movies, nobody ever specifically dies in the movies, but nobody is ever obviously alive either. It's like it's, they, they pretty obviously kill millions of people in these battles. Mm. Like so many people go down, but it's like never like making a decision to, to end somebody's life. I don't think that right. Captain America has done that outside of when he was in the war and even in the war, it never shows him like killing somebody like mm. until, you know, we're talking about winter soldier and the winter soldier, he kills somebody, not the winter soldier. I'm sorry. The, um, the stand in for captain America, the U S agent. Oh, and he, Falcon he and winter soldier. Up, yeah. Yeah. He straight up kills somebody like that mm. dude. He kills somebody. He's a killer. Well, that, that's what I mean. Like in, no, that's what I mean. And like, there are, there are definite scenes where, where cat kills people in those movies. Like he, there's the the um, the mercenary who's on the helicarrier in the first Avengers. You know, Cap shoots him and then you know kicks him off the helicarriers, and you know he falls out into the. So yeah, there. But the the times when someone like Cap kills in those movies are very incidental compared to the John Walker situation, where that's a deliberate murder. Like he didn't have to. Yeah, and that's yes. that. So like someone like Cap or Iron Man, they're not gonna they're not gonna worry too much about if they killed someone in the heat of battle like that. But so there are heroes where there are these, these lines and for the kind of hero that David is in the world he's existing in, I think the fact that he kills the guy is, is completely acceptable. I, you know, I guess, I guess um, what it, at the end of the day, it drags it more back into reality. Kind of like you said, mm. is that like, I, I'm, I'm taking that as a knock on it being a superhero movie is that that pulls it back closer to reality because i feel like in a super movie or superhero movie situation he would have found a way to get it done without killing him because that's mm -hmm. what superheroes do they they figure out how to not kill people unless they absolutely have to and in that situation he didn't have to and there was something to tie the guy up right on the wall where the lady was tied up so he could have tied him up like yeah. it wouldn't have been you know two seconds um so the but like we talked about, like having that that grounded in reality grittiness that, you know, it does make it a lot more feasible of it being real. Mm. Because also, you know, if the guy stays alive, he's he's going to talk about this super strength person that, you know, he as a six foot seven, 400 pound monster was taken down by a guy who's 
five ten and 195 pounds like mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense it's going to start to raise questions and in that situation people are going to start getting curious about who this was mm-hmm. oh wait. so he had to, so he had to die <laughs> uh now, let's talk a little bit about the, and I think it'll probably be the last thing, and then we'll wrap things up. But um, what what was you, what did you think about the relationship between Elijah and David? Did like like at the end when you know Elijah says, you know, they, you know, usually the the hero and the villain are friends, like you and me. And so I was thinking, what is your take? Do you think that David considers him a friend up until that moment, or is he just kind of humoring this guy for the most part? I I would say up until that point. He was humoring him, but he was actually warming up to being his friend. Mm-hmm. He's like, this guy was, you know, he <sighs> seemed totally crazy, but it turned out he was right. And he, you know, he unlocked this huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like, so he was really thankful to him because now he's got a, a whole new outlook on life. But then, um, then thinking about it, he would have, like, he was starting to just like, soften to the guy <laughs> go away ghost go sorry my dog is doing the thing i told you um he started to soften to him and i think that had that situation not happened they were going to be in each other's lives like i think that they were going to start like regularly he was going to be the guy who was going to help him bring that strength to the next level mm-hmm. like that's what it was that, that's what he's kind of thinking is like he's got all these ideas about you know what a superhero is supposed to be like and I don't have this knowledge. He does. Like, I'll go to him and, you know, he'll kind of be the Alfred to my Batman or, you know, mm. whatever. And uh, then he drops that bomb on him and he, yeah, so he never got to cross over in that friend space. But also that further proves the point of the lunacy mm-hmm. that ex- that existed in Elijah's mind is that he was considering this man that he had just destroyed thousands of people to get to as his Mm -hmm. friend knowing all of that yeah like he's like i know that i like i blew the train that you were on up i know that and you're my friend like that's crazy Mm -hmm. you don't blow anybody's train up ever but then especially somebody who was on the train you don't call him your friend like that's Mm -hmm. not how that works yeah i thought that's my thought yeah my, my my whole take on it is that i think that David's just kind of humoring him and then by that by the end when he goes to see him in that last scene I think he I think you're right he's on the verge of becoming his friend but I don't think they're there yet and um so when when Elijah you know says oh sometimes they're friends like you and me the way I always interpret that is that Elijah is, is so broken he's been so alone for so long that he doesn't even know what a real friendship is like yeah I, I agree I, I'd like liken it to that um to the person who like follows a woman around and never has a conversation with them, mm-hmm. but then says like, you're my girlfriend mm-hmm. and is like, I've never even spoken to you. Like, so to him is like, he's out of touch with reality. So like both in definition, he doesn't know what a friend is because mm-hmm. he's never really had one. Mm-hmm. But then also in, in this, you know, his insanity doesn't know how to determine relationships because mm-hmm. in his head, Anybody who he has a conversation with, he's brought into his friendship. Like, but like the, I, I think to me like the the conversation that uh, Bruce Willis had with Elijah's mom mm-hmm. endeared him endeared him in a way to Elijah where he had decided they were going to be friends. Yeah, like he was like, you know what? I've learned enough about this guy. Like, you know, he's kind of an amazing person. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't really give him a chance at first. I'm going to give him a chance. And then yeah. it seemed like he had an obvious different energy towards him until, like, he starts to see the signs and is just like, uh, they shake hands and is like, I thought that was really powerful. Like, what, like, what, if, what do you think if the, if they had ended a different way, they had just like, start, like, just left Easter eggs. Like, he didn't have him shake his hand. They just mm. like showed the stuff in the, in the office. What, like, how do you think, do you think people would have gotten it? I don't think so. I, I think it would have been, I think you needed that revelation at the end, or even if David doesn't find out if, if, you know, you see like some confirmation from, uh, from glass, like, you know, he goes into, he goes into the room and then you see like the bomb making equipment or, or something like that. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think you needed some sort of revelation. I think without that revelation at the end, it's that point is going to be, it's going to be so subtle that I think it'd be lost on a lot of people. I, I agree. But I like I once again, I thought it was a genius twist and the way that even though it's the way that he said it. And so I guess now is when you shake my hand. Mm-hmm. It was like it, it was just in his book, in his mind, this was a comic book like mm-hmm. this. This was a this was all scripted and it was following the archetype of the comic book, like origin story. And now that we've exposed your origin, now we shake your hand because this is the next panel. Mm-hmm. Is you find out that I am your I am your nemesis. Yeah, and yeah. so like that, you know, once again, played up his insanity. And then the next thing they say is he's now in an insane asylum because he's now shh, hush. He's now in an insane asylum because mm-hmm. you know David led them to his uh to his evidence. Ghost, stop. Go see somebody else, please, please. We're almost done. <laughs> yeah, and um. Ultimately, I think, too, the the way that they paint Glass and not only in the fact that he is the opposite of of David in so many ways, but but also just like the the tra- the trappings he has of the the superhero mentor. Right. He's like the he's like the learned guy. He's always kind of like speaking in this authoritative voice, even, you know, going around in a wheelchair like, you know, Professor X or the chief from Doom mm-hmm. Patrol. And even though this came before the Flash. Later, when you get the Flash TV show, you have Harrison Wells in the wheelchair as well. So there's this there's this definite trend of like, you know, men in wheelchairs being like the mentor figure for a superhero. And so I think Harrison Wells also turning out to be the nemesis. Right. Yeah, I think if anything, I think maybe that was a nod to (laughs) Unbreakable. Both those things. That's a good point. Um, But yeah. And then the whole um, then the whole twist at the end that, you know, that he's the, the villain. I thought all of that is really well done. And it's a nice it's a nice twist on the the mentor hero villain relationship because typically you'd have like the mentor has been friends with the villain all along, right? Kind of like mm-hmm. the you know you've got you know Professor X and Magneto being the most obvious example. So that whole that whole idea, or even like you know Ninja Turtles, right? Splinter and the Shredder, and so there's always this Lex, idea. Lex Luthor and Superman, and you know way back when. Oh yeah, well that's that's going with the yeah the friend turns into the villain aspect yeah but mm-hmm. but usually when you have a mentor and a villain the mentor and villain are connected in some way and this oh yeah 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 and, yeah, th- yeah. and this this movie flips that around a little bit where the mentor and villain are the same person so instead yeah. of you know Obi Wan teaching Luke to fight Darth Vader Obi Wan teaches Luke to fight him would be more uh, a more similar com- speaking idea. of Obi Wan when, whenever you mentioned um, kids driving the plot along. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan, did you watch did you watch the show? Yes, yeah. I that is the perfect example to me of a terrible version of that. Mm. Like I d- I could not stand her. 
Like, <laughs> and I like I love kid actors, but to me, everything that she did felt so like characterized. Like, I mm. never felt like I was actually. I never felt in it. Right. Like, right. I there. I never at any point bought into that story because every time I saw that I saw that child, I was like, there's nothing intense or. Mm-hmm athletic or like this is just a like a toddler mm-hmm. who they're trying to make look athletic it's like she's not running they're walking fast like <laughs> this does not actually this doesn't work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no yeah random aside no, no no that that's 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 a very fair point and yeah I, generally if it's not if it's not short round in in uh temple of doom it's I, i'm not in i'm not down with kid actors <laughs> <laughs> um but i think that's a good point to end on here so uh Bruce, any final things you wanted to mention about Unbreakable? Um, I I, just, I think it's you know we we talked about how it's gaining it's gained traction on the back end as kind of a little bit of a cult favorite. Mm-hmm. I think that it is definitely an underrated superhero movie, and that's that's why I suggested it because I was like I'm sure nobody's picked this one, and I was right because people don't even think about it. Like it's not in the conversation because there's so there's such a high saturation of you know superhero movies now that something like this that's, you know, a more subtle, low-key look into it is overlooked whenever I think that it's actually one of the greater versions that, that does it. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. I'm glad mm-hmm. they gave you a reason to rewatch it and the, to bring it to my kids because I, I don't know if I would have thought about it anytime soon. So I was glad to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. It still holds up. I mean, I think it's, um, it's a good example of how you could do a low-key superhero movie without a big you know, special effects budget and, and it can be done. And it is cool to see these kinds of little bit, slightly more unconventional tales. Um, so yeah, thanks for suggesting it. And, uh, why don't you tell people once again, where they can find you? Um, right before I do that, have you seen blue beetle yet? Not yet. No. <sighs> Email me when you do, I, I want you to form your own opinions. I haven't finished it yet because I fell asleep because I watched it at like two o'clock in the morning, but I, I would like to hear what somebody like yourself has to say about it. So anyways, you can find me. My name is Bruce Alexander. You can find me at on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn at Authentic Identity Management. You can find me on YouTube and YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch at Authentic Bruce. Um, you can also check out my website, www.authenticidentitymanagement.com. There you can get my free resources, my free ebook, and my uh, five-step blueprint for ADHD unmasking. And um, right now... That once again, this will not be out in time for my 30 day challenge of make it or break it with my business. But hey, if you are interested in my story, you can go back and watch it because it'll be posted all over the place. And you know, you can message me and say, You back at work now? <laughs> and I'll, 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 I'll be open with you about it. So um, I really enjoyed the process. I hope that you know somebody who hears this either enjoys listening about Unbreakable or uh, needs help, you know, with ADHD and you know, showing up as themselves because either way I'd love to talk about it and love to help people. So. Okay, great. Well, thanks again. And we'll have, uh, we'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes. So people will be able to check it out. Uh, that does it for this episode of superhero cinephiles, superheroes, cinephiles.com is the website. We are super cinema pod on, uh, Instagram and blue sky and threads. Um, technically there's still a superhero cinephiles page on Twitter, but I'm not going to be posting there very much. So best way to get in touch with me is through those other things. All right. Uh, and also, please remember my comic book, Paragons of Earth, um, is available through crowdfunder.com slash Paragons Comic. That's crowdfunder, no E.com slash Paragons Comic. Uh, please head over there, pick yourself up a copy, and we will talk to you next time. 
Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Superhero Cinephiles is produced by me, Percival Constantine, with the support of Zencaster. The show is created by myself and the late, great Derek Ferguson, our host Emeritus. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com to listen to past episodes or find out how you can be a guest yourself. Support the show by visiting our advertiser links or click the Buy Me a Coffee link on the website to make a one-time donation. You can also support us by visiting crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder with no E dot com slash paragonscomic and help support my superhero comic book, Paragons of Earth. We are Super Cinema Pod on both Instagram and Blue Sky, so please be sure to follow us. We'd also appreciate if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share us with your friends. Thank you for listening. And as always, good night, good evening, God bless.